is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. It feels like we're kind of in the eye of the hurricane right now when it comes to Steelers content and just following the Steelers in general. We just had that big storm of content with the draft and all the promise of a new beginning. You've got new players on your roster and a running back that you're super excited about. But now it's kind of like you got to wait a little bit. I know rookie OTAs are going to get started this weekend. And then before you know it, it'll be mini camps and training camp will be here in a blink of an eye. But right now, kind of just feels like we're floating, you know, waiting for, you know, something big <laughs> something to happen. Yeah. Is there going to be know. a free agency move that goes down? I don't know. But we're, I think it's a perfect time to give a little bit of a state of the Steelers yeah. on these next couple of episodes here to Steelers Standard. We can start with the offense in this one and go to the defense in the next one. But you were going to say something, Jacob? I was just going to say, I don't know if we're in the eye of the storm any longer. We were. We're about to face another storm on the horizon. That's what I'm saying. Though. Okay, like, yeah. You, you, it's not over yet. We just had a storm, and now we're just kind of floating along waiting. It's kind of that It's kind of that tease in like an action movie where you think you've won the final battle, but the next wave is coming, and you got the Now, there will be a schedule here. release this week. Right. So that is a little bit of exciting stuff, a little bit of a groundswell coming our way in just a few days, but... Talking about the Steelers' offense and the state of that offense, uh, let's start in the sexy place, the place that we want to talk about the most, the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. And as far as who the starter is, that state is not up for debate at all. It is Ben Roethlisberger's job, and he has a, a firm grasp on that starting <laughs> job. You sure? I'm pretty positive, right. unless Mason is taking whatever Bob Baffert was putting in his Medina Spirits <laughs> PEDs, and he's going to come in and tear it apart. But it's going to be Ben Roethlisberger, and we saw good and we saw bad from Ben Roethlisberger in 2020. Uh, started the season off, seemed pretty decent. In fact, there was MVP talk building for yeah. Big Ben as the Pittsburgh Steelers got off to their 11-0 start last year. Things kind of fell apart down the stretch. But then again, he had two of his most statistically impressive games at the very end of the season one in a win against the Indianapolis Colts and one in the wild card mm-hmm. loss against the Cleveland Browns. So a little bit of a mixed bag from Ben Roethlisberger last year. Tough to really get a read on what he's going to look like when he steps under center in 2021. And what do you really even hope for? Do you do you look at that Colts game and just a vacuum and say, I hope we get that Ben for a majority of the time? Do you look at the beginning of the season and hope you get conservative Ben and Hopefully the rest of the team can kind of elevate around him and the Steelers can get on a nice roll. Or do you hope for that little bit of a gunslinger mentality when you were down against the Browns? I don't know. I really it's it's going to get tougher and tougher to evaluate Ben as far as our expectations are concerned, the older and older that he gets. You just never know when that table's going to fall out. No, you don't. And I don't know exactly what to hope for, because, you know, I think all of us have said that. You know, if the offense next year looks like they did in the the Browns game, I know that the score dictated, you know, them throwing the ball 55 times, whatever it was. But the offense can't work like that this year. And and I think it spells disaster if it does work like that. And even more so because of the guy that you just brought in um, with your first pick in the draft and Najee Harris. You know, if you're throwing the ball 40 times a game, and again, I've said this a lot, but I understand that there are going to be situations where, you know, that happens, where the score dictates it, and you have to throw the ball 40 times if a team's taking the runaway. I understand that. But if, if that's your mode of, of offense and that's the way you want to operate, like this team, you know, this team did in the last six, seven games of the season last year, I don't think it's going to end well. Um, and I don't know what to expect from Big Ben because we haven't, really seen him and I mean it's been a long time since the offense 
you know, I don't want to say it's not going to flow through him because it will, and he's getting the ball every single snap, and he has the most say-so in that offense. Right. But, I mean, you know, what's it going to look like, what's Ben going to look like in kind of a transition for the offense, becoming more of a, a physical, a mean, a nasty football team? I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not saying, you know, that I think it spells doom for Ben or anything like that, but it is interesting because this is the first time in – I don't know how many years that Ben, you know, isn't the the main source of offense. I know you could say that Bell was that, you know, when Bell was here, it was it was that sort of way too. But again, Ben still had the, you know, he wasn't the aging old, you know, superstar that he is now. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to touch on too, uh, while we're talking touch about on Ben, it. is Tom. You mentioned how he had like a better end to his season than he did at the beginning. I don't know about that. I well, just think there was some I, I, statistical I was anomalies. Say, yeah, what I was going to say, I think an anomaly for certain was that Cleveland wildcard game because yes, he put up big numbers, but it was all in a losing effort. I mean, when the Browns go up, what thirty-five to fourteen or thirty-five to ten at one point. They're gonna they're gonna loosen up a little bit. I mean, yes, there was somewhat of a comeback effort until that fourth and one call where Mike Tomlin decided to punt the ball instead of going for it, where it seemed that the Steelers had momentum. Once that moment passed, I mean, Ben was throwing the ball a little decently well before and, and decently after. But once that fourth down play came, it came and went. It was basically Ben could do whatever he wanted, but it didn't matter because the Browns were probably gonna win that game. So yeah, I, I I mean, we commended him on the Indianapolis game because that was the game where it was a must win scenario in order to keep your footing in the playoff race and in the division race for that matter. But it, it was a totally different experience when the Indianapolis game compared to that wildcard game because it was ju- basically just a bunch of garbage time that you saw. And if that had happened, if that if the Browns jumped out to the lead that they had accumulated early on as they did and Ben still didn't put up the points then we'd be really concerned because even in garbage time even when the Browns had no reason to play solid defense all they had to do was just protect the lead and Ben still couldn't put up the numbers then I think people would definitely need to be concerned about the quality of Ben's play he did throw four interceptions in that game right I mean there's definitely some negative those came I think majority of those came you know in the first quarter and in the first half but, I mean, he, I think he also threw for four touchdowns. I mean, but it, yeah, what, he did. what does it matter? I think majority of the, the interceptions came before the touchdowns, but the touchdowns. You can't were, break even. Right, I mean, exactly. Especially when the number is as high as four. And it's interesting just looking at him here. I know this means nothing, but he's put up monster numbers in his past two playoff games. 501 yards, four touchdowns, four picks, of course, against Cleveland. Then in Jacksonville, back in 2018, he had 469 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception in the game. I mean, so they get to the playoffs, and Ben starts to light it up. Right. Uh, just a matter of being a little bit more conservative. I know there's the one interception in the Jacksonville game, but, of course, you remember he also had that fumble that he gave away. Right. That they turn, returned to the house for, for a touchdown. touchdown so yeah. bad turnovers from Ben in both games really outwash his great performance. But I think, you know, the last we saw of Ben, he put up numbers that were – Elite. I mean, he threw the ball 68 times. Of course, that has to come from (laughs) them being down for the majority of the game and being down so drastically early. But he clearly still has the capability and the arm ability to do big numbers in the NFL. It's just a matter of will father time finally completely catch up to him this year? or Is he going to truly have one last year in the tank where he can play at a level that's not elite anymore, but a level that's going to get you to the playoffs? One person that he has to help him with that is their newly acquired running back in Najee Harris, and he immediately jumps to number one as far as the state of the running back room is concerned on that offense. 
no question he'll go into rookie OTAs, mini camp, training camp with number one on that depth chart in his mind and on everybody else's mind. And that is a shiny new toy for Ben Roethlisberger to play with this year and something that might be a little bit of a fountain of youth for an aging quarterback, a very strong running yeah. game. Right. I mean, and, and, I mean, you look at what the Browns did. I know this isn't exactly the same situation, but you guys know that I don't I don't think Baker Mayfield's a good quarterback. But what did the Browns do? They realized, hey, if we take less off of him and we, we take we take some away from his plate, he can be more effective throwing the ball 25, 30 times a game. He doesn't have to throw it 40 to 50. And I yeah. think that's something that the Browns did early. They said, hey, we have a good running game. Why don't we use it? I think that's something that the Steelers are going to do. And that can only help Ben because of the fact like you said, he's not going to be asked to throw the ball 40, 50 times. Let me raise you another one. The Colts last year right, really sure. surrounded uh, Phillip Rivers with mm-hmm. a strong dual threat running game. Right. And yeah, Phillip Rivers could still put up some numbers when he needed to. But the majority of the Colts wins and the reason they got to the playoffs last year, of course, they had the same amount of success as the Steelers did getting bounced on the first weekend of the playoffs. But still, they got there because of that strong running game around Phil Rivers. It helped him have an easier go of it in his what ended up being his last right. season as an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it can only make Ben better. And, and again, I don't know what it's going to look like because Ben really hasn't had to adapt um, to changing an offense much. But I think it is in his best interest, you know, relying on that running game. I think that's what the Steelers are going to do um, more so this year than in years past because you have an aging quarterback, you know what I mean? And Ben was really good in the beginning part of the year. But I wonder, and and I think this is the the overarching thing of this entire you know um, this entire conversation we're having is you know when he started really not I shouldn't say playing bad, but I guess he was a lot worse down the stretch than he was in the first you know thirteen you know, I don't know ten games of the season or, or nine games of the season. The last six or seven were weren't pretty. I think it was just because he flat out ran out of, ran out of right. steam. Um, and that happens when you're aging and, you know, you're coming off of elbow surgery and you're throwing the ball a lot. I mean, that that you're kind of setting yourself up for a disaster if you're the Steelers. So um, that that's one thing I think that it will prevent as well is that, you know, Ben, I don't think is going to run out of gas as quickly. I mean, let's hope he doesn't, right? Right. Because this, if he is, does, just, this is just another year on yeah. top of already his aging resume that he's he's built. But I, I certainly hope with the arrival of Najee Harris, the Steelers and and most importantly, Ben can recognize it doesn't all have to fall on me. But it seems to be that Ben's had that mentality the past couple of years ever since Le'Veon Bell has departed. I just wonder, though, is maybe that mentality, you know, I don't have that quality of a running back anymore. You know, you're right. never going to truly know how he feels about But even James in Conner. 2017, when Le'Veon Bell was in his last year actually playing, because 2018 was his last year as a Steeler, we all know he set out for that year. But 2017, I think the Steelers ranked like 21st in rushing yards per game. And I don't know how much of that were depended on. That was the year that Mike Munchak had departed for Denver. And the offensive line was, I guess, on on the beginning of its decline. Well, I don't also know how much of that relied on that. The running game was a little unique as far as just looking at the numbers as far as what is a traditional run because the passes that they would throw to Le'Veon Bell were so high percentage passes that you could almost call them running plays, even though they count towards their passing yardage and count towards their passing statistics. And that was something they definitely did not have with James Conner or Benny Snell or whoever you tried or to replace. Or any of the above, right. You, you yeah. saw James Conner able to replace Le'Veon Bell as far as the running game was concerned the first year he really stepped in as a starter and was a pro bowler and almost broke 1,000 yards. 
but you never really saw that extra level that Le'Veon came with, which was it helped Ben out in the passing game so much. And by the way, Le'Veon Bell, really underrated part about Bell, he's an excellent pass blocker. Oh, he's too. Un- he yeah, could destroy linebackers that were coming through gaps that the linemen missed on their pickups or if he had to pick them up. So he was unbelievable. That goes into trust right there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Ben trusts this guy with all facets of his game. And, yeah, he can get a little bit more pass-happy and throw the ball a lot more because, you know, he likes to step back and be the guy dumping the ball off, but he knows 99.99% of the time I'm going to complete this pass to Lev. Mm -hmm. It might only go for one or two yards, but I'm going to get it to him. It's not going to be – it's as good as – I'm a Hall of Famer. It's as good as a handoff almost. Yeah, right, and I think that's – That's something that comes back with Najee, I think, 100%. Absolutely. Or at least they're going to try for that. And I think you you mentioned the the pass-blocking thing by Lev, and I think – that's something that doesn't get talked about enough is his, I mean, his incredible prowess pass blocking. Don't think Alabama running backs have a problem no, right. with that. Do you, do you right. notice that though? Like you, Derek Henry don't, doesn't have a problem pass blocking. Mark Ingram no. does not have a problem pass blocking. They're really all were the able to pick that up. Too. Really able to mm. pick that up quickly when they got yeah. in the NFL. And that's because Saban knows not only how to have a great, one of the best, if not the best of all time college program in history, yeah. He knows how to get these guys to the next level. So he's training running backs from day one. If you want to play in the NFL, you need to pass block. And I think that's something that the Steelers sorely missed the last two or three, four years. I know Connor was getting better at it, and he wasn't He wasn't bad But here's at the it. thing. A guy like Connor, he's at Pitt. He's their best player on offense. Right. So why he's would you not... have him pass block? You need him to go out even for routes when you are passing the yeah. ball. Yeah. No, so... I hear you. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, like I said, he was getting better at it, and, and he was, you know— he was much better than, say, Benny Na- Snell. Najee or- Harris stays in pass blocks. You've got three Heisman candidates at wide receiver running well, routes. Sure. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a of a So he's different got the balance. experience there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that, that that only can bring confidence. You know what I mean? Not that Ben is spiteful in the back of his head, but if he's thinking, oh, the running back missed a block here. I got tattooed. Am I going to hand it to him the next play? You know what I mean? If it's an RPO or I'm just going to pass it and pad my own stats a little bit. I'm not saying that Ben does that, but I'm sure that, you know, that thought crosses your head if you're a competitor, you know what I mean? A teammate lets you down, whatever. But I don't think, you know, I think having Najee Harris, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Pass blocking isn't going to be a problem. And again, that just goes into the whole trust thing. Um, And again, you know, we all love the pick of Najee. Um, And again, you know, you got to hope that it works out. I think it will. But I mean, it, you know, I don't know the last the last time the Steelers drafted a running back other than Lev that has re- really paid off in our lifetime. I don't know how long it's been, but there hasn't been a lot. So you know, I'm just banking on the fact that 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 Najee works out, and I hope that he does, and we all believe that he will. I definitely believe he will. I mean, this is just the this was the answer to the Steelers' problems, right? I mean, you could have gone. We hope you could have gone. Add it in a roundabout way by addressing the offensive line, just by adding more protection for James Conner or Benny Snell, whoever was going to be the week one starter. But it doesn't matter. It's it's reliant on the capabilities of the running back. And Kellen's alluded to this play, and all three of us have, but Kellen loves to refer to the play against Notre Dame in the semifinal game. Uh, I believe it was this past year, uh, if not two years ago, when the offensive line just completely crumbled and there was a collapse in the pocket. But Najee was able to bust it out to the outside and then in, a, in an act of true athleticism just hurdled the guy and just kept the play going for 50 yards when it could have been a loss of five. It not only was a a two-part play in terms of him able being able to create 
uh, despite a broken or a collapsed pocket, but then a form of athleticism down the field in the hurdle. I mean, I think this is the guy that should be able to fix these Steelers problems despite not using a high, higher round draft pick on the offensive line to kind of bolster up that unit. It, they, they waited until the third unit, but as Tom likes to say, Kendrick Green is his favorite player taken by the Steelers in this year's draft, and let's hope that he plays as big of a part as Najee Harris does in terms of fixing the run game. Now, the running game needs a good offensive line in front of it, and that is probably the offensive unit that State is in the most question right now. There's going to be some changeover on it, of course. Um, left tackle, Chukwumo Korfor. Left guard, Kevin Dotson. Right guard, David DeCastro. Right tackle, Zach Banner. That seems to be your starters at those positions. The center position, a little bit more up for grabs. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. ESPN.com has Kendrick Green already slotted in as the starter in center, so shows what they feel about Hassenheyer and B.J. Finney. Um, but that's, of course, not official yet. That's just you know people's best guess as far as who's running that website. But I do think it, it the best version of that line, I think, does play out with that line of Chooks, Dotson, Green, DeCastro, and Banner. And honestly... I, I am I really punch drunk in love with this guy, or is it that far fetched for me to say that I might have more faith in Kendrick Green stepping in and being good than Chooks taking on a bigger role or Zach Banner taking on a bigger role and becoming a starter? I mean, I don't know if it's crazy um, because the Steelers obviously valued Kendrick Green. They obviously really, really liked him. I feel him. like they think they got a steal there. I think they I do feel too. like they think they had a fringe first rounder still sitting on the board. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if they believe that, I don't think what you're thinking is crazy. Um, but, you know, the only worry that I have with that way of thinking, and I guess if you put a gun to my head, I guess I would maybe lean the way you're thinking just because of the fact that, you know, Chooks was fine last year, but is he better than fine? Is he, you know, is he going to get better? I mean, I'm sure he'll gain more experience and that sort of thing. But, you know, is he going to be a starter two, three, four years down the road? I don't know. I mean, the plan is obviously for Kendrick Green to be a starter right. for that amount of time and hopefully more. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's crazy to think that way, Tom. I mean, like I said, the Steelers definitely think that they got, you know, they got something special there in the third round. I mean, every Steelers, you know, uh, media person, the, the web, I mean, everybody was going crazy when they got that guy and they were really high on him. So, um, again, I've said that I've said this before on the show, but I, I believe that Kendrick Green is the key to this draft because if he doesn't pan out, all of a sudden there's more questions. Why didn't you take a lineman earlier in the draft? You could have waited. You know what I mean? All those question marks kind of resurface. So, I mean, he better be that good because, again, if he's the key to the draft, he better be as good as the Steelers think that he will be. I, I mean, this is I, – I refer back to this point of argument just as like a safe point, but I, I tend to believe in Kevin Colbert's ability to find diamonds in the rough. I mean, we what we saw out of Kevin Dotson last year was promising enough to the point where he's basically will hope be the, hopefully be the starter week one, and I think Kendra Green is on that projection. It just seems to be a very similar narrative between the two guys, a very parallel connection between the two of them, and so I have more faith than not uh, in Kevin Colbert's ability to find the right people to plug in uh, and in terms of positions of need, and I, I, I don't think we have any reason to believe that Kendrick Green can't be the guy to step in and kind of be, you know, the next coming of or changing of the guards in terms of formidable names on the offensive line. I think a couple of things to look out for when training camp starts on the line. Number one, 
Joe Haig and does he push either Chooks or Banner at all for that starting spot? Because this is a guy that, you know, you, you put him off the scrap heap, but this is also a guy who played in the Super Bowl last year. Right, he has some sort of value. Yeah, he's a starter for a Super Bowl champion last year. He's a ring. He's a big contributor to that team last year. Um, they moved on from him. Now he's slotted as Banner's backup, according to the step chart that I'm looking at right here from ESPN. So I'm going to be interested to see. He's definitely the leading candidate for the swing guy as far as the, you know, if they go super jumbo packages, he would be the next guy up, I would think, the number six yeah. offensive lineman in a depth tr- in a starting group of five. Uh, the other thing I'm interested in looking at is how fast can Dan Moore Jr., the fourth-round pick from Texas and A&M, climb his way up to number two on the depth chart behind some of those guys, be maybe the seventh lineman or the sixth lineman and overtake Joe Haig even. So interested in both of those things. And if Dan Moore can get himself up to that number two spot, then as far as grooming him for your potential long-term solution at one of the tackle spots, that's a really good start for them. And I think hopefully long-term they hope in a couple years he will hold down a starting spot there. And I, I think that's the the idea by drafting Dan Moore. I, I think that's the way they thought. I think they th- – I think the Steelers think that they got a steal in Dan Moore, too, in the fourth round. Um, they were pretty high on him when they got him. And, um, again, they keep talking about the nasty side of football, and they keep saying that Dan Moore has that. Um, and, again, like you said, Tom, I think bring you still have Joe Haig, too. So if, if Moore isn't ready now, which, you know, he's a fourth-round pick. He might be. He might not be. I mean, we keep, you know, drawing the comparisons to, to Dotson last year. Um, and he very well could be ready at this point. But if he's not, at least you have Joe Haig that – you know, as you said, he's not he's not a superstar. He's nothing special, but he started on the Super Bowl team last year, right. the team that won the Super Bowl. So there's something there. You know, I mean, he's got to have some sort of good football left in him. So I think they're in a good situation. You know, I don't know if the if the starters are going to be great, but at least there's depth. You know, and, and I think that's a, a huge key. And it, it's good too grooming a young guy like Dan Moore that you don't have to play him right away and you can let him learn a little bit. And then all of a sudden, if you realize, Oh, Hey, he's ready to go. We weren't really expecting this. There you go. You, you know, you got a serviceable backup or whatever Dan Moore turns out to be in, you know, this year or into next year too. But long-term, I'm sure their, th- their thought process is that he's going to be the starter at one of the tackles in the next three or four years. Continuing with the Joe Hay conversation, I'll, I'll take it from the other side. Do you think considering he came from Tampa Bay, the team that, returned all 22 of their starters, including some other guys like Antonio Brown. Is it anything of a red flag, the fact that he wasn't brought back? That's a good point. I don't know. I mean, maybe they have some younger guys that they're more confident in. Um, yeah, He did only start in three games for them last right. year. Yeah, it just I mean, so happened to fall that he had to play in the playoffs. Yeah. So maybe, you know, a way to carve out whatever cap space you need, how minuscule his hit might have been, mm-hmm. you got to let those really fringe guys go if you want to bring back all of your starters across the board. So, And I'll say uh, this. But it's a fair thing. I mean, a team didn't want him. You know right. what I mean? It's not like the Steelers drafted this guy. He's, you yeah. know, 28 years old. He's been on two teams before the Steelers. So teams have seen Joe Haig and said, you're not worth the money. So it's not like I'm saying, ooh, this guy. I'm just – It'd be interesting to see how he pans out on uh-huh. his third go with a team with the Pittsburgh Steelers this training camp. Well, you know, you want to put your blinders on, your your Steelers pro goggles, pro Steelers goggles. I mean, you could say the last one of the last times the Steelers went out and got someone that a team didn't want and then they exceeded expectations in Pittsburgh was Steve Nelson, who unfortunately mm. is no longer with the team. So Gone. it could be, I mean, let's hope for the best. Let's hope for it's a Steve Nelson uh, scenario in which – his original team didn't want him, and he comes to Pittsburgh, and he does even better than he did in his past uh, in his past city. 
the wide receiver room is probably the most loaded on the team and also one of the deepest, I think, in all of the NFL. When you have three starters, Juju, Deontay, and Chase Claypool, and your number four guy <laughs> in James Washington would be a number two on some of the bottom half teams in the league and a number three on almost every other team in the NFL. So they've got some incredible depth. Um, I think Ray Ray McLeod has value as far as you can give him the ball once every four games and he might break a nice 30 yard yards after the catch on a nice little cross across the field. He'll catch the ball for you. And of course he has so much value in the punt returning game too, but you know, this is the one unit on the offensive side of the ball that I don't think there's any real worry about because you know, Ben Roethlisberger is the age thing. Najee, you can't really have that much confidence until you really see him play in his first game right. in the NFL and see that he makes that jump to the next level. We just talked about how that offensive line is probably the shakiest, but the state of the receiving room, you know, as controversial as it was to bring back Juju, they incredibly bolstered that room into being one of the best units and not just the AFC North or the AFC, but in all the NFL I mean, there's options on options on options. Yeah, it's one of the most complete wide receiver room. I don't know if it has the star power necessarily of a, of a handful. Their of draw groups. that you put them in the top five, not because of who they have, but you you say like their draw is there's yeah. four guys here, right? Pretty there, much there's that are four starter ready. guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and like that's what I'm saying. There's not a you know there's not necessarily a superstar, but there's four really good pros there. And we can just add this on since we're kind of running up against it. The tight end room has gotten a lot better. their number four option as far as a receiver is right. concerned too yeah. he's the guy ahead of james washington i would say as far as ben is concerned and eric ebron was supplemented by the draft pick of pat Fryermuth, right. who will slide right into that number two slot he's not going to get pushed by gentry or raider at all i mean no, no chance no chance and it's it's the only one getting pushed is ebron out of the starting position it depends Fryermuth. on how Fryermuth does and it'll be really interesting to see how committed Fryermuth is to the blocking game yeah but he also has a lot of talent as far as a pass catcher, too. So, I mean, the options are incredible. At, at any given time, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, if they have Juju, Deontay, Chase, Ebron, and Fryermuth on that field, he, he's got so many options in Washington on the field. There's just there's nowhere he could go wrong. You just kind of wish Ben was maybe 15 years younger. Yeah, I hear you. And that's rookie Ben, I mean. That's kind of yeah. the worry that I have just in the back of my head. Someone's got to get him all the ball. Right. There's that. And on top of that, you have so many – capable guys that can catch the ball for you is Ben going to turn around and hand it to a rookie you know I, I think that he will the running back that's what I mean I think that he will and I think he'll adapt but we just went through it I mean we really didn't even talk about the pass catchers because it is a complete group and even more so now by adding Fryermuth to the tight end room um, I mean it is a complete pass catching group it's not filled with superstars, but it's filled with solid NFL guys. You can't have egos, though, too. Right. When you have a right. room that deep, it's going to be spread out. Right. You can't have anyone with real top dog mentality. And I don't know if anyone God, does. I don't want to share the bone. You I don't know? think they do. I, I think, think they, they like to share the bone. I mean, Juju has an ego. Juju has an ego. I think he has an ego, but I think he's happy when his teammates do well. Ebron I really has an ego. Ebron might be the one that has the yeah. biggest ego. I do genuinely think Juju is, if Juju had like four catches for 30 yards and Claypool had like 120 yards and two touchdowns and the Steelers win, I do genuinely think Juju would be happy. Maybe yeah. not Ebron. Yeah, I mean, maybe Ju- not Ebron. <laughs> Juju definitely has an ego, but it's in a different way. It's not right, a exactly. meme mentality. Right, right, right. I mean, it is a meme mentality. He enjoys mentality, seeing everybody not, else eat, too. but not right. on the field. Yeah, and not right. on the field ego. Right. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Probably. So again, I just worry that you know you're going to have that Ben of the last six, seven, eight games of the year last year wanting to throw, 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 throw because you have so many guys that are able to catch the ball for you, and you forget about the number one pick that you just had. 
Juju even said uh, earlier today that, you know, he thinks they do need to run the ball more. He thinks they need to be more balanced on offense. Well, good. When's the last time you've heard a wide receiver say that? We need to run the ball more. It's been more. a while. Yeah. That doesn't happen much in the NFL, but no. Juju's got that kind of mentality. And, you know, again, I said it's a little controversial, whatever. Then bringing him back, you're, you're going to get a guy that I still think works hard and is a bruiser. That's a guy that defensive backs do not want to tackle. No, I mean, that's definitely accurate about Juju Smith-Schuster. But that's going to do it for this episode of Steelers Standard. Thank you, as always, for checking us out. But the state of the Steelers rides on in our next episode as we flip over to the other side of the ball. We talk about that Steelers defense uh, unit that has been dominant the past couple of years, but might have a couple holes poked in it this year in the 2021 season. So we'll get into all of that. You can check out all of our old podcasts, all of our upcoming podcasts at Steelers.com, or you can download and subscribe to them on Apple or Spotify. For Jacob Recht and Kellen Gursky, I am Tom Opperman. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.